Welcome, everybody, to another great edition of Running Into the Fog. We have our dear friend, Rasta Kursky, with us uh, here today. Eric, welcome. How are you today? I'm great. How are you, Derek? Doing good. Rostic, thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to this. All right. So we're recording this on July 15, 2021, episode number 16 uh, in our series. Uh, expected to go live sometime around the end of September. And Rostic, you bring a uh, pretty diverse background, both in the way of uh, industries and verticals you've operated in, as well as experiences in your life that you've had. Looking forward to jamming on those things today. Um, Eric, I'm going to let you kind of frame up the first, maybe uh, big, big theme if you want to take that uh, first priority here this afternoon. Well, before we get into your career, Rastic, I really just want to acknowledge uh, that you are literally a rock star. You know, you uh, you sing in a band, if I'm not mistaken, uh, as well as, you know, your journey from the Ukraine, I think, and then also part of your entrepreneurial efforts around uh, your heritage and and how you're sort of exploring that. That's where I'd love to kind of kick in is how did a guy from the Ukraine end up in Saskatchewan and with such a beautiful family and uh, congratulations again on the new baby and the beautiful family that you've you've got going there in Saskatchewan. So thanks again, Thank Rusty. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, so I guess, you know, it's one of those stories you, you begin, I was 13 years old when, uh, uh, I was born in Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine was part of USSR. It was I was born in '79, so uh, it was still part of the big, you know, big, big regime. Uh, grew up, I guess, until 1992 when I moved to Canada. Um, to make a long story short, uh, I won't go through how we ended up in Canada, but my parents came to Canada to Toronto in 1990. They came on a quick, quick visa just to. Uh, you know, at that time, uh, USSR it was hard to get out of hard to get out of any country part of the USSR. So they came on a on a visitor's visa to Canada to Toronto. Uh, they had an opportunity to stay. Somebody offered to sponsor them, and they stayed. And so for two years, while they were waiting to for Canada to offer them a residency, they applied for residency. Me and my brother were back home in Ukraine with my grandparents, and kind of stuck. We were being held almost ransom in the way where. They found out that parents were in Canada and they were saying, we're not letting the kids go anywhere until uh, parents come back. Uh, I remember speaking on the phone with parents and it was all, you know, in code because phone conversations being listened to. You know, we had, our, you know, growing up in that in that environment, it, 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 again, you look back and you're like, I understand why and how I turned out to be this way is because it had it had a huge implication on your life and on the way that you've been brought up. We, we grew up in a very patriotic Ukrainian family where, you know, uh, we did some things that were not <laughs> we were not allowed to do at that time, you know, getting married in church. My parents got married kind of behind closed curtains. I went to uh, to church during Easter and I got kicked out of school for that for a month because, you know, those things were, were kind of, you know, not not necessarily permitted. So um Anyways, fast forwarding in 92, my parents got their permanent residency in Canada and me and my brother basically lost any citizenship. That's when USSR started breaking up and Ukraine became its own country. And uh, we left. We left kind of quickly. Nobody knew. We took a train from from the city I was born into Moscow. We flew out of Moscow into Montreal. My parents met us in Montreal with a car and then we drove to Toronto. It was our introduction to Canada. I did not speak a word of English. I knew mother, father, brother, sister. That was it. I was uh, I was going into grade eight. I spent grade eight kind of trying to get accustomed to, you know, the language and everything else, watching TV as much as I could, went into grade nine and that's where my kind of journey began, even from there, uh, because I had an opportunity to go into ESL, which was English as a second language, or go into normal English. And I basically just decided, you know what, if I go into ESL, I'm going to be amongst people who are Ukrainians or Polish or Russian or whatever. We're going to all speak the same language. We're not going to speak English. I'm not going to learn anything. So I just went straight into an English course with dictionaries. I remember sitting in grade nine with dictionaries, trying to figure out what I was doing. I, I, you know, I think my my teacher in grade nine for English uh, was felt pity for me. She passed me with a with a fifty one. You know, I, it was a big, huge achievement for me getting a fifty one as a pass. And from then on, I kind of just went forward and and uh, never looked back with regards. So to me, that kind of set the stage for 
pushing yourself, you know, and really just going and saying, okay, I'm not going to go with the norm. <laughs> I'm going to try to go and be, uh, you know, be myself and push myself. It wasn't for anybody else. It was for myself. Right. And so, yeah, I, uh, you know, again, fast forwarding, finished university, uh, you know, my career at university, I was going into pre-med. Then I kind of just, you know, I said, you know, I, this is not for me. So I explored, I went all over the place. You know, people look back and they're like, you know, you look through your transcripts and, you know, you have, you can see a trend. You can see like, you know, oh, I was interested in this. For me, it's like literally I took forensic sciences, anthropology, philosophy, uh, calculus, biology, uh, astronomy, social sciences and psychology. And, it, you know, at that point in time, that's when I really started realizing that I like having various pieces of puzzle together and trying to put all of them and then them try to make an understanding of the world and what it is. I, I really got Sounds like a competitive intelligence background to me. You know, uh, again, so again, looking back, you're like, oh my God, <laughs> exactly what, you know, a professional, like, you know, in speaking to, to some of the professionals in CI, that's exactly the path that some of the individuals have taken. And, and so for me, I, I explored, I, I fell in love with sociology and psychology. I finished my degree with that. And then I always just saw myself working somewhere in my, you know, I, I always wanted to do market research. I wanted to do kind of get into the qualitative, quantitative research and trying to, you know, put puzzles together. And I never could. At, in Toronto, it was difficult for me to get into that area. It was very competitive. So I got into a banking <laughs> out of all places. You know, uh, ever since high school, I, I worked at a tiny credit union. But again, looking back, I, I, I look at my career there and it was like, I tried to do things there that were, again, innovative, tried to figure out, you know, uh, what kind of customers came into the credit union and what did we offer them or what kind of conversations we had with them as tellers because I where I started my career as a teller there you know so I tried to push the tellers uh, to basically record you know what kind of things what kind of products they talked about what kind of you know uh, and it, it was it was just all for my own interest but it, we kind of developed a system even internally to utilize for what kind of month did we have what did we talk about did we talk about investments mortgages loans that kind of stuff right so um, that was when I was like, you know, 16, 17. Um, and then I met a girl uh, <laughs> for a little further on after I finished university and, you know, worked through my, my kind of uh, worked through my career at, at the bank, uh, met a girl, her name is Alessia, and we dated for six months. And in the six months, we basically decided, hey, uh, let's move to Saskatoon. <laughs> she she also is from Ukraine. She moved in, uh, you know, a few years later. She, there's a there's an age difference between us. We're you know six years apart or seven, but anyways, uh, she's uh, she was going into med school as well, and we heard some really good things about the university here in, in University of Saskatchewan, and so. We basically one day I was fishing with my dad and she calls me and she's like, I applied to U of S and uh, I think we're going to just, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, and then August, right before school started, she got an acceptance letter. Uh, we had three days. We packed my little tiny Mazda uh, protege hatchback uh, up to the ceiling. We drove for three days. Didn't have a place to stay. I didn't have a job, nothing. It was just like we stayed at a Ukrainian church in the basement for a couple of days. Then we found a place to rent and uh, life started like that for us as a as a couple, I guess. And very quickly after that, you know, I proposed and we got married and and family life started from that. Well, Lessa got into master's in toxicology. She really, you know, she really liked it. She really enjoyed it. She finished that. And then after she finished her master's, that's when we decided that we're ready to have kids and, and have kids. And I, you know, within a, a month of being in Saskatoon, I found a job at a market research firm. And I started there as a phone interviewer. I was on phones calling and, you know, hello, my name is Ross Tukarski. I'm calling with regards to the survey. Would you like to complete? No, click, no, click, no, click, right? Yep. <laughs> but, but very quickly, they also found out that I was pretty good at my, my success rates were good because I could connect with people. It was, you know, again, calling and talking to people. It's not just a machine. You have to follow a script, but you can also you had some variances in the script and you can connect to people. Right. And so I think it was probably three weeks into me being on the phone. They basically said, you know, you're too good. You're too good for the phone. Go in the, go in the office. We're offering you a job as a, as an analyst. And so I, I started as an analyst there very quickly. Um, very tough job. Uh, I won't go into the details about the, the, the operation itself, but again, looking back, if I didn't go through what I went through there, it probably wouldn't have been where I am. And so uh, extremely tough working conditions, extremely challenging, but I was pushed. I was, uh, 
allowed the, basically i was running their consultancy i was doing all the qualitative projects i was uh doing the the, stu the qualitative studies for city of saskatoon for for various kind of bigger organizations and i was running the projects from start to finish i was you probably met a million people as a result right, of it yeah i did you know in-depth interviews and focus groups i traveled kind of all over western canada do you know running focus groups and learning from from the moderating skills and then i, I got to moderate myself uh, I, I calculated, I think I did over probably 1,500 to 1,600 in-depth interviews in the four years that I've been there. And in-depth interviews, you know, are different than, than, uh, than regular survey questions. Those are, you have to know how to kind of record them, how to report on them, how to, you know, how to analyze them and, and succinctly <laughs> tell the client, hey, this is what people are saying. So it was really, again, a huge learning opportunity for me. And I took it and I just went with it. And so... When I was leaving, they were kind of biting their 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 elbows because I, I was leaving with a big su successful uh, consultancy business for them that you know they were losing an individual. But I got an opportunity to work for for another organization which was a crown corporation, so part of the provincial government. I got into uh, be you know uh, literally setting up a CI function. I I got hired as a oh I don't even remember the title, but it was like a knowledge resource analyst. It was like I had no clue what it was. I like the job description sounded interesting. They wanted like a master's degree and nine years experience. And, and I'm like, I have no chance of getting in here. Somehow, I guess, you know, uh, my chance of luck. And also, you know, I think because I had, I had previous experience and I, I got the job and then they basically on day one, they said, okay, <laughs> this is the title. This is what the job description is now go for it and try to set up something that will help us. <laughs> Yeah. Was <laughs> that so, SRC? Was that so, Saskatchewan Research Council? Yeah, that was Saskatchewan Research Council. Yeah. So uh, again, super grateful for the fact that they they kind of threw me into this and I was like, okay, I'm going to figure out very quickly what it is that they want. And I like, that's when I started kind of researching and I found out that there's a field called competitive intelligence. And I'm like, oh my God, there's something that exists that actually puts into a perspective everything that I've been doing up to this point. <laughs> and uh, I think it was half a year into my job. I think it was in 2011. I started in uh, summer of 2010. And I think uh, right after New Year's, the first skip conference that I went to, it was in Orlando, I remember, because the next year was in Philadelphia. And so in 2011, I went to my first skip conference. And now that's when I met all of the kind of, you know, the, the, the key players. I met you guys. I met Craig Fleischer. I met some of the some of the people that are, you know, have been my friends and mentors uh, uh, up to this point and I continue being friends with. And I, I went in with my jaw just dropped. I was like, I was wowed by the fact that there's so many individuals that actually think the same way, that actually mm -hmm. view the world the same way. I felt like I finally belonged somewhere because yeah. it was hard to explain to people what it is that you really are trying to do. And that's when I, you know, I came back and I'm like, holy smokes, now I have a wealth of information and I know what I want to do at SRC. I want to build a CI team. I want to build a team that actually provides decision makers with inputs and outputs of, of like, you know, analytics of like, this is what, this is what the world is telling us is happening. And this is how it's impacting your business. Uh, SRC was great for the fact that it was extremely versatile in the industries that it played uh, a role in and it still does and it was you know mining and oil and gas and alternative fuels and agriculture and biotech and so i was again very quickly it was like um we need to monitor like all these markets and can we figure out you know what what, what they're all telling us so when you broke it down by segments it was like all of a sudden 128 sub segments that you had to monitor and you have to figure out within all of them what it is <laughs> so it was a team of one very quickly. It turned into a team of, I think there was at the peak, there was seven of us. Okay. Uh, and so it was, you know, myself and then a few other analysts. And we, we were kind of, we became a, an advisory team within SRC, kind of providing advisory services to, uh, to all the decision makers, to the executive team, to managers. Uh, we ran reports on analytics and whatnot. And again, I went, I made sure that I went every year, whether it was skip or other function that got individuals like ourselves together where I could actually bring back some Intel. So uh, that for myself to, to be able to kind of, kind of keep on growing the function and whatnot. And so uh, after that, I got an opportunity of being there for, I think was there for eight years. I got an opportunity to 
moved to health and uh, now I'm the director of impact and strategy for Saskatchewan Health Research Foundation. I provide, uh, again, strategic and foresight services to our CEO, our board, and a bunch of other kind of cross-functional organizations within government. To, we are a funder of health research, so we uh, run competitions and we run granting programs where scientists and researchers apply to our programs. And then uh, through peer review, uh, they basically are, you know, their projects are reviewed and then we grant them the dollars to run their projects. And so for me, my role is basically trying to figure out what are some of the things that are happening in health that, that are the next thing? Where can we, you know, create uh, a niche for a focus area that we need to focus on in order to be able to be the most impactful with, with some of the funding that we run? So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. And, you know, throughout, again, uh, I think, Becoming a part of, you know, I think in 20, it was in 2018, I was nominated and successfully accepted into the fellows of, of CI. And so uh, I think, it, you know, again, it, for me, it reinforced the fact that I was on the right path with regards to my thinking and my way of doing things and, uh, uh, and connecting with individuals who really, I guess, understood that and appreciated the fact that maybe I was doing something that was pushing the boundaries of what the standard CI approach was. And so again, I, I, as I grow in my career, maybe that's something that we want to kind of, maybe that's the next topic or whatever. As I grow in my career, I see that CI as a function is evolving and it needs to evolve. Maybe mm. needs to evolve is more than what it actually is doing. But I think in reality, maybe that's kind of my inside, <laughs> inside driver for, I, I think CI needs to evolve faster than it is currently evolving just because it um yeah I, maybe we will we can you can phrase a different question but i think i think it's something that you know ci as a, as a function i see something something different about it for the future than it is right now right so what, what do you think that actually is what in what ways do you think we need to evolve faster so for, again for me for me if as you know me and i've been talking and i think i've been preaching preaching this for the probably the past nine years out of the that I've kind of been around the, in the in the CI as 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 a function, but um, CI needs to be pushed beyond the boundaries and limitations of kind of the cross. The, it needs to be cross-functional and cross-organizational and cross-sectoral. And and to me, collaboration is like the number one thing. And I've been you know I've been talking about collaboration all the time, and not necessarily collaborating between just you know organizations or individuals it's kind of collaborating for the sake of making the world a better place uh, you know again the ci has kind of uh, in my eyes and i've never seen it this way because i guess maybe growing up in canada uh, uh, the view of ci has been different but it's always had the stigma of like you know the spy agency and you know the 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 behind the scenes and we're all going and doing some espionage and gathering information like all those things are you know the kind of the war and again growing up in ussr i look back and i'm like oh my god you know like you didn't have to speak in code and whatever but to me it uh, the it, competitive intelligence or i i call it collaborative intelligence is really working towards not necessarily just making our organizations better and profitable but making the world a better place for us for us and for the individuals for our families for our children to grow up into because the world is you know, again, we talk about VUCA, the volatility, uncertainty, uh, you know, all of those things around us, they're so, there's so much unknown that's happening around us. And you, if you don't, if you don't try to kind of have that, that uh, humanity, the humanity spin on, on CI, and, you know, again, it, I think we, we all just become driven by certain things that are not necessarily the driving force of why we exist or why we as human beings are here. It's not necessarily just to make a profit. It's not necessarily just to make money. It's not, it's not about material. It's about kind of, again, better things. And so, uh, you know, COVID was, was interesting because I saw a lot of, as much as you saw organizations jumping on the fact that they can make money. You also saw a lot of organizations jumping on the fact that, look, I can't develop a vaccine, but I can help in developing one. And, you know, competitors became collaborators. They started working together to get this out to the world. And, and uh, I think there's still a lot more work to do. But, I, you know, for us as individuals who, who see the world in a different way, who uh, put the puzzles of uh, pieces together in a different way, who are thinking 
you forward and, and kind of trying to figure out what it is that's going to happen and how it might affect us. I think we have a huge role to play in, 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 in making that kind of being those advisors to individuals who might, who also do competitive intelligence, but they don't do it in a structured way like we do. And so we kind of, you know, for, for me, that's the way that I think, again, it's that, it's that holistic perspective. It's not just, I see competitive intelligence being, maybe it's all flowery and peachy and unicorn and, (laughs) and rainbows, but it is making the world a, a kind of a continually better place to live in because there's, so many things that are not good right now. Yeah. Well, that's really well said. And I think you capture what is, has always been, at least in the, I've been around a little longer than you have Rostic, but not much. Um, You know, I've been doing this a little over 25 years and the world that I observed emerging started out as a very shareholder, you know, value centric and uh, the corporations that funded intelligence activities had very zero-sum view of the marketplace and their treasury and what value really meant. And I think what we've seen in the last few years, and particularly during the pandemic, is that more sort of stakeholder perspective on, you know, who else, who else has a stake in the future that I also uh, have, have a stake in? And as we've begun to explore that, actually, you may have heard, and it's our own version of the SRC. We have a, we have something we're working on called stakeholder reconnaissance communities, and how that sort of changes up what the analytic mission looks like. The analytic mission now becomes turning insights into action by giving people the confidence to deploy and allocate resources against problem sets that other people, other stakeholders which are not sovereign to their organization per se. You know, they're not necessarily part of your same company. They might not even be a company. Um, You know, they might be an institute or a government agency or, you know, a foreign national um, or just a bunch of people who live in a particular place and want to see a different set of results produced. That notion of stakeholders and sort of bonding together with people who are uh, addressing problems together, you know, that's really... The, the next level that I think you're talking about there with where collaborative intelligence ultimately needs to take us is we need to try to use insight and innovation to improve the circumstances of those who we serve. Yeah, and yeah. then that the, the determination of who we serve is based on who we produce value for, not necessarily exactly. our employer. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there's a there's an organization I, I you've probably have heard of them, IDO. Uh, they, they, to me, that's kind of you know they do pro- product improvements because they they they're all about ideation and bringing individuals from various experiences together and then trying to see how can they improve a product or or a service, right? And so to me, competitive intelligence is almost like IDO and steroids becomes where we 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 are given with a with a challenge or a problem and we bring individuals whether they're an anthropologist or a marketer or. Uh, their construction worker and bringing those individuals together and having conversations around how can we address that problem with the needs of individuals that are impacted by that. And to, to, to me, the CI plays a role in, in, in organizing those individuals together and understanding what they're saying, because to me, our role is to be that neutral convener, is, is to mm. actually bring the neutrality into the picture so that we can provide an, a, a true analysis of what everybody's saying and say, okay, this is what I think the world is saying. This is what I think is happening. And now you as stakeholders, this is how it's impacting you. Let's try to figure out how can we uh, approach the problem or a challenge so that you benefit from it, so that you benefit as various stakeholders. And so Higher resolution. Yeah, yeah. The, the way I refer to that is the diversity of perspectives provides a higher resolution appreciation of reality. And yeah. the consequences are, we're not working to maximize our current reality for our sovereign greed, yeah. so to speak. We're working together to maximize a future reality based on understanding the points of view of everyone who has a stake in this current exactly. truth. And I think the way, the reason why CI worked for me throughout all these years, again, working in public service as part of being government, there's, there's many different perspectives, many different stakeholders. Everybody has you know, again, everybody has a thing that they're trying to achieve and move forward. And so you really have to 
play uh, and, and, and emphasize the neutrality perspective that I am not here to say you're better than that, than the other, that I'm not here to say that this is, you know, this is happening and this is not happening. I'm here to gather all of the insights that you provide me as stakeholders within whatever problem we're trying to solve. And I will provide you with the most neutral perspective of what I think the world is saying that's happening. And then we, you as decision makers, get to decide what, what it is that we get to do in order to, to address those kinds of things. And so I think it's worked really well from that perspective because um, the, people become, you know, again, they have their own, their own passions and people become somewhat sometimes defensive in a way because, you know, you're challenging them in a way. <laughs> and and uh, I've always used the fact that, hey, I'm not, I'm not here or there. And so I'm challenging you just for the, for the fact that I need to understand what's happening. Uh, that's worked to my advantage because you, you tend to get a lot of insights out of people uh, when you're when you're you're advising them that you don't have a I'm not here to to you know confront you or to criticize you or to make anybody you know better or worse and so I think the neutrality perspective works really well um, and that's something that we have to keep on going in a direct I, I believe and as a profession uh, you know we have to pr- provide that that perspective where we are gathering at all the insights and we provide some kind of a future where we are sometimes well, where we're challenging the norm not sometimes where we are constantly challenging the norms because the norms you know people tend to become they're like this is we, we've been doing it this way for this many years and it's all good it's working for us well not necessarily because everything around us is changing so, so if, if it's working, that means that you're omitting something and you're not seeing something that's happening already because there's that it's either running in parallel or it's going to hit you as, as a, you know, as a perpendicular. So uh, I think I think it's it's that it's bringing different perspectives together. So I think the um, couple thoughts on that. So what what Rostick is talking about, Eric, kind of brings me back to something you coined many years ago, the, the whole CMORC concept, which I believe stands for Collaborative Market Outlook Reconnaissance. Is that correct? That's right. And, yeah. you know, that, that opportunity that if, if it's really going to create impact in the organization, it needs to be collaborative in its nature. The other side of that equation is, hey, if it's everybody's job, maybe it's nobody's job. And you know, I think that, that there, there's a fine line to walk and a balance that has to be achieved when you when you start to introduce, well, is uh, the art of intelligence and insight creation inside of an enterprise everyone's job? If we agree that it is, how do we how do we overcome uh, those situations where if it's everybody's job, it's nobody's specific job? Any thoughts on how uh, our listeners might reconcile that concept? I think so. I'll, I'll use your like. I think uh, and again, I don't remember the exact words that you use, but during COVID, you ran uh, with, I think, with kind of a regional, on, on a weekly basis, you ran a regional kind of gathering of individuals, whether they were government and business, and you kind of presented different perspectives of what's happening in the region. Uh, closing, closing the distance. Yep. Yeah. So, so for me, and I sat in on a few of those, and I really, I think that's, the, that's a great example of how you don't necessarily need to make individuals within the organization uh, own competitive intelligence from every single angle. I think they already do. I think like, you know, salespeople own insights and marketing people own insights and managers and CEOs and VPs, they, they have insights that they, they, they possess. I think the reality is that how do they share those insights in order to be able to connect with all the other insights that are happening within and outside of their organization that they can now basically analyze and put together to build the future or to understand the future that either is happening already or that they want to be working within, right? That's it's the preemptiveness of it. It's not even proactiveness. And so for me, I think utilizing your kind of your model of getting individuals together from various organizations and you kind of ran it as a you moderated it. You, yep. you, you know, you as as intelligence practitioners and, and and leaders in that area, you made sure that individuals understood why they're sharing those insights. What can what can come out of the insights that they're sharing? I think that's what that's potentially the model to use forward thinking. Like it's 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 us being CI practitioners who know what foresight means, who know what you know how to put pieces of puzzle together. We don't need to 
put even more uh, work on individuals that already have a lot more work, right? CEOs they, or VPs, they have a lot of work on their hands. You don't need to all of a sudden say, well, you need to do CI and you need to do analytics and whatnot and whatever. You, they don't need to own it. They already own insights. They, that's, that's all we need as practitioners, right? CI, right? And for us, but if we're able to access those and utilize them in conjunction with everything else that we're hearing, and so the key point is not only within the organization, but outside of the organization, that combining all of those together and really making it impactful, not only for inside of the organization, but outside of the organization. Now, all of a sudden, the business that you're in, you're actually working, you're working for the greater good, but you're having an impact as an entity or an organization, regardless whether you're, you know what I mean? Like, you're still part of the bigger team, but your organization is still benefiting because you're part of you're part of the entire entire decision making process. And so, for me, yeah. I think that's a that's a I found that a really good example of what I think potentially could be the future of you know it's I don't know how to call them tiger teams or whatever whatever it is, but it's individuals from the regional economic development authorities. It's like individuals from the tech entrepreneurs and startups. It's the VC, it's the municipal governments, provincial governments, and representatives from kind of across the board that can bring different perspectives on. And I think you'd really, again, this is where the, the key point is, you have to identify what it is that we're trying to solve. What are we trying to address? Are we trying to address, you know, we want to grow econ economy within the region? Well, if it's that, then let's put that as the main subject and have those individuals bring their perspectives of how we can grow economy in the region because they all will have different perspectives. If we want to, you know, talk about tourism or, or increasing, you know, visitors to our, our city or whatever, let's, let's, that, let's, let's put that as the, I think the, the, the attendance or the attendees should they won't change it's the topics that you talk about because again you will have from regional development authorities or conference board or or whatever you will have different perspectives regardless of the topic that you choose but you have to choose a common topic that everybody that you're inviting to the table has an interest in or a stake in because yeah. then they when when it comes out to you you figured out some kind of outputs or some kind of solutions they will all go and they will try to to somehow solve that problem now in common even though they're working separately as an organization right so well that's really it's cool that you brought up economic development because actually yesterday I gave a lunch and learn talk with Craig um, to it's the right way to describe this to a unnamed Canadian capital city which tomorrow we're going to actually do back-to-back -back, uh, workshops with, half-day workshops with. Um, and I'll tell you after I get permission to tell you who uh, yeah. they are. But um, that encounter was all about how uh, economic developers figure out the problem of growth. And the growth problem is central to another problem that happens in economic development. And I've been hanging out with some economic development people the last few years. And I, I told them, and I, this has been my thing that I've sort of been observing as an as a impartial analyst, by the way, I'm not making any judgments. I'm just saying this is what it looks like to me. There is a problem of force diffusion uh, in economic development, which means that you've got all these different types of stakeholders that recognize that they've got common problems, talent, for example. How do we grow, attract, reskill, upskill? you know, make lifelong learners out of our talent workforce. That problem has so many different participants with a stake in the future of that, that they don't believe that they can work together on it. That's, I think, yeah. prerequisite almost is that you've got to, first of all, believe that you can work together. Yep. Number two, figure out how to, rather than diffuse your force, concentrate your force so that power is accretive rather than dilutive and that your power is moving the entire movement forward rather than just the sovereign assets that you have to control. So that's that's a really interesting experiment that we're really yeah. pretty neck deep in right now. And I'd love to see what we could do in Saskatchewan at some point because it's not Saskatchewan. Yeah. That. I, I, love, I love it. I think, and again, I think in addition to that, you also have to put limitations on what things are kind of in scope and out of scope. Because people, again, when you bring the people from economic development, they'll say, you know, we need more funding here. We need more funding. You know, we, we require more resources here. And I think those things you have to almost kind of push aside because yeah. 
A, funding is either going to be decreasing or is going to remain the same. And then, you know, government funding as in relation to with regards to how much money is being invested. There, there's, there's so many priorities out there that it's like, well, yeah, it's, it's great to say, you know, we need more funding, but what else, right? And so you kind of basically have to say, okay, these are, they're, they're great to have, but they're out, they're out of scope for this discussion. Let's talk about if we had no resources, no funding, no, what, what will we do with the basics, right? And how could we all together utilizing our resources and our knowledge and our perspectives, how can we bring this, this forward, right? How can we develop talent? From university's perspective, how can we develop talent from the employer's perspective? All of those different, different, right? And so I think you need to, uh, in addition, have different layers of what you're allowed to bring into the picture when you're talking about this, and what you're, what's out of scope, because people will tend to, you know, go to. I think there's there's similar problems that everybody's experiencing and they will tend to go to that well we don't have enough of this or we 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 are running into this problem and it's like if that problem can't be solved entirely then let's you know that's that's a that's a bigger it's it's kind of the bigger big hairy problem big hairy deal that maybe it's it's out of our hands but what can we do that that uh collectively we can solve that problem right and or something else so yeah, yeah. Derek, you look like you had a uh, thought. You know, I think that's, a, I love I love the intersections. It you know, probably goes back to uh, a little bit of the reason why you ended up, Rostic, ultimately in in the intelligence realm. You know, you had taken, you spoke in the early part of the podcast about taking all these different courses, maybe without concentrating in any one particular area, figuring out that med school, the one thing you did uh, figure out was that med school wasn't for you. And, you know, thank goodness for that English teacher that passed you with a 51. Right, that that you could go on, you know. Even though when you came to the came to Canada, uh, coming out of the USSR, age what 13, 14, yeah. you only knew four words in English. You know, you, you've you've gone on to um, have such a, a, a broad spectrum of different um, interactions with people, with organizations, et cetera, that has trained you to have, you know, the uh, the, the range of diversity in experiences to make for a good, I call them insight spotters or trend spotters or whatever uh, people like us might uh, see themselves as. Um, do you have any uh, additional perspectives, you know, in, in way of maybe what you think, um, you know, even if you want to go to this question, what's, what's easier to make, an Intel person or a vertical or sector expert yeah, that's a that's a question that people like us get all the time. Hey, can I learn this industry, or can I learn to be insatiably curious, or be a really good intelligence person? Any thoughts on that? You know, and, and I, I've thought about this for a long time, and I think I think a part of it is you're kind of born with inquisitive parts. That you know what I mean. I think you, as an individual, you have to be you have to have some kind of inquisitive nature in you where you're. You're seeking knowledge, not for the purpose of like learning everything, but you're seeking knowledge because you want to learn more about how that specific sector or industry or whatever operates. And I think so for us, it's, it's, it's a tough question, but I, I, like the reason why I constantly want to learn more is because I want to learn how to talk to individuals who are the actual experts in certain areas, right? So for me, when I was at SRC, I spoke to scientists who had postdocs and years and years of experience in in uh, natural gas conversion technologies and they probably would speak the language that i had no clue what to talk about but i educated myself about those areas enough where when i sat down with them and i tried to present them with a report that says the state of the market for natural gas conversion technologies is this they were actually understand. We we spoke the same language, and they were able to understand the 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 the, the business side of the science things. And mm -hmm. then on the flip side, when you're talking to business people, you know, you're talking to individuals who are trained for years and years and in, in how to run a business, or you know, they've ran many businesses or they're successful operations. And you actually are you have a scientist who you know the project that they're working on has a huge and tremendous potential because. The, the 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 analytics and the insights are just telling you that within 10 years that project is going to lead the organization to new heights 
But because that scientist doesn't know how to present a business case for their technology or whatever they're trying to do, they have no way to get into that decision maker. And so I spoke on the scientist's behalf and we together were able to present a case for the, for the, for the technology or whatever to be able to say, oh yeah, this is worth our investment. This is worth taking and bringing to the collective so that we can discuss how this is going to impact our organization, right? And so I think again, so it's you're educating yourself for the purpose of being able to not look completely dumb in front of the experts. And so that when you're talking to the experts, they look at you and they're like, oh, I understand what you're, again, you're trying to bring to them a perspective of a future and whether the, the future is, is making money for their organization or the future is that this, this technology will save hundreds of lives or whatever it is. I think if you can present that to whoever the decision maker is, the greater chance you stand in making that technology or whatever advance further. And so for me, I think you have to, you have to constantly look at how can you advance your knowledge and across various industries, because to me, uh, you know, I guess cross-functionality and cross-industrial thing, like there's so much cross-pollination that happens between various industries that it's like, you know, you have to learn sometimes what's happening in chemicals in order to talk about enhanced oil recovery, or you have to talk about what's happening in technology because it's impacting the health sector. And so, or you have to talk about, like, there's so many different aspects, right? And so, if you try to be an expert from the CI perspective, that's when we will, I feel like I will, I would probably lose the analytics and the foresight capabilities because uh, you become focused. And when you become focused and, and the expert, then your decisions, I'm sorry, but they sometimes get biased because you, mm -hmm. you feel like you know everything in that area and you are, I mean, you, you're following not just your gut, but you're following sometimes your biases. And so I feel like not having that expertise potentially in everything, but knowing those, the, you know, those, the areas that you're working in, uh, and you have to continuously tell yourself that you're doing this as neutral as, as can. And yeah, I, I've mentioned neutrality. And I think the biases sometimes drive people to overlook certain things and, and, uh, you know, they get hit, they get blindsided by certain things and events that happen, and all of a sudden it's too late to even react, and they don't, they don't know how well you know what's happening to their organization and business. So, yeah. I actually think you know just to jump in, then I'll give it to you. Eric, the uh, I think the the role of the really strong intelligence provocateur is asking better questions. You know, if you can if you can focus on which questions you need to address in order to yeah. arrive at what what answers are missing from the equation. Yep. I think that that's, that's where the, the real uh, secret um, might reside. Eric, go ahead. Interrupt. I was just going to say that Rostic identified one of my top qualifiers for a new collaboration partner, which is uh, humility. Uh, and frankly, uh, if there's nothing I can tell you, you don't already know, then what good will I be to you? So that being a qualification criterion, um, I think that's true of the best intelligence analysts is they try and look for uh, an opportunity to serve in such a way as they can close that gap. They can close that gap between what, what people think they know and what they actually know. And that's that the stochasm, we call it, the stochasm where intelligence lives. And it can be productive in both ways. You know, it's, it's easier and usually better rewarded to create new knowledge. Uh, the hard job is disabusing people of their false assumptions. And that's seldom rewarded, uh, by the way. It's often rewarded with, uh, with vengeance. Uh, and so, you know, I think from the standpoint of somebody who, um, you know, you mentioned uh, getting kicked out of school for a month because you went to church on Easter. Uh, the, the little kid who grew up to be the professional that is that was that little kid, you know, 30 years ago, that's the attitude that I think is most useful for intelligence people is, you know what, I don't need to be an expert on this. I've got 10 experts here and, and they mostly agree. The problem is that I've discovered something that I think contradicts a good portion of what reality looks like for them. And the problem is they don't know. And I need to curate that for them so that they can now absorb this make the insights their own and then take action on it. Yeah. 
or it's a giant waste of time and yeah. I'm not serving the yeah. people who are supposed yeah. to be serving. I completely agree. And I think to add to this, uh, again, being surrounded by individuals like yourselves and others within the fellows and within the intelligence practitioners, it, it, it has def definitely made me more comfortable with the fact that I have a voice and I have an opinion and my opinion matters. And, you know, sitting in a room with, uh, with Craig Fleischer and, and Jan Herring and others, and when you actually, when, you know, first time I was like, oh, my God, I have an idea, but I'm not going to say it, but I'm going to say it, you know? And I say it, and I'm like, when Jan goes back and says, oh, that's a great idea, we should consider doing that as a, as a practice, that comes back and that's, that means that, you're, you know, no matter how long you've been in the field, you're still willing to learn from the young and the right. old and, and collaborate within those individuals. That, that made me more comfortable to, to actually have a voice and to be able to go back to my uh, organizations or my, you know, realities where I work. And, you know, you, you know Derek kind of quickly mentioned the, some of the entrepreneurial things, you know. I run a nonprofit with my wife. We help orphans in Ukraine. We run a small business. We we uh, bring Ukrainian clothing and we sell it online as a small shop called Ukiology. Our nonprofit is called Stream of Hopes. We help over 6,000 orphans in Ukraine. We've been doing it for six years. Uh, all of those things we're doing because we want to make an impact. We want to make a difference. We want to make a, you know, we were challenging ourselves. We're, we are super busy. We have Now we have three kids. We have full-time jobs and now running a nonprofit and a small business in addition to everything else. But we know we can handle it. And we, without it now, we can't be. We can't. And so in reality, again, it's your the title of your podcast, Writing Into the Fog, is perfect for, I think, our profession because there's fog around us everywhere. And you have to really just st standing in front of it. It's scary and daunting. But then when you tell yourself, I can do it, and you have support around you, running into that fog isn't that scary because you just, you, you'll figure your way around it. You know what I mean? And you, uh, that's what I kept on. I always refer back to the moments of like, you know, immigrating to Canada or not speaking English or going into university or all those things that are like, they were, they were points in your life that made kind of change into a building who you are. I go back to those. And, uh, you know, when we were moving to Saskatoon, we're like, so what the heck, if we don't like it, we'll just turn around and go back to Toronto and go back to our lives there. We already immigrated once. We know the language. What's the worst that's going to happen, right? So the, if, if, you, if you sat and analyzed all the unknowns, it would have been super scary to just go and pick up and leave, right? But we knew that we together, we were together. We knew we, were, we could do it. We've done it before. And it was, it's a step-by-step -step thing. It's not a we're going to challenge and conquer the world in the next three months. It's a, it's, we've been in Saskatoon now for 15 years and it's still a work in progress. But we look back and it was the best decision that we made because we've built a career, we've built our family, we've built everything here. And the Fed for us, it's, I don't know whether we would be able to do that in Toronto. So you did it together. And that's, I think, the, the thing that great intelligence analysts have in common is they know when to ask for help uh, yep. and they know how to accept help. Yep. They know how to take calculated risks and they know how to quench the inaction that comes along with uncertainty long enough to discover that it wasn't as scary as they thought it'd yep. be. And, and by the way, you know, as we kind of wrap up here today, Rostic, having good friends to do it with, you know, friends and colleagues and family yep. and, you know, people that you love that are, are making you better, yep. you know? And so just Derek, you can wrap yep. us up, but I wanted to say thank you, Rostic, for telling us who you are. And <laughs> I want you to also tell us where we can connect with you and, and how we can track you. I know you got a Twitter account and connect with you maybe on LinkedIn. I know you, yeah, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I got Rostic. My Twitter handle is Rostic007. <laughs> right on. Uh, on LinkedIn, you can find me on Rostic Hersky. Um, my email is rhersky at sheriff.ca. That's my work email um i'm on facebook yeah I, yeah I, i'm all over the place uh like i said if you don't want to connect with me you want to see some of the stuff that we're doing uh, uh our business is ukiology.com our not non-profit is streamofhopes.ca uh those are some of the other ways that you can connect and see where we are uh i would love to hear from others i have again tremendous appreciation for what you guys are doing and for getting me on your podcast and then getting kind of exposing myself a little bit out there and getting some thoughts out there to see, yeah, to, to, to see what, what, uh, what we can do together uh, moving forward. So awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Your, Thanks, your, your story is so inspiring. 
just sitting here listening. I've, I obviously knew many of the elements of the story, but the fact that you, you, you left Ukraine yet you found ways through this uh, streams of hope aid for the Ukraine to, 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 in a sense, go back, give back to the, to the Ukraine. Um, you, you know, you taught yourself English, you made it through university, you've, you've, uh, taken on the daunting challenges and uh, intimidating uh, scenarios of moving across, you know, from one part of Canada to another. And, you know, I hope that our listeners really do take what you just said to heart, you know, without uh, some risk and without some, uh, you know, putting yourself out there to explore, you know, be grateful that you do have some fog to run through because if you didn't have any fog to run through, it might mean that you're standing still or you're not taking um, you know, placing some bets on your own capabilities. And, yeah. you know, I, I know for just to kind of bring us home here, I, I know for both Eric and myself, we, we consider it a great privilege to call you a friend, to call you a colleague, and you're an honorary Joe bro uh, with us. Right so uh, thanks for coming on the podcast, Rostick, and we're, we're looking forward to a day when we can get together. For uh, sure. Fun little story. Uh, I think it was at the was it 2016 when you got inducted. 2018, I think. 18. So I think I showed up to, at that meeting with maybe a, as I often do, with a with a uh, little Bluetooth speaker, and I, I randomly situated myself on the. This, there's this rapper known as Shaggy, and he he came out with this song years ago called Boombastic, and now you've always my nickname for you has always been Boombastic because when that song played, you started as if you had the words like in. Uh, google glass like in front of you and you know you you wrapped it as if it was something you had rehearsed i'm not i'm not even gonna recreate it now but for those who whoever we want to get together one day uh i'll definitely recreate it in person because yeah that's something that's something only a few eyes and ears get to hear and see so So you find us the best best karaoke joint in saskatoon and derek and eric will be there sounds good we will be there brother all right eric always a pleasure and rasek thanks for Yeah, thank you for coming on. Good time, guys. Have a great day. Thanks a lot. Bye, everybody.